Welcome to the Honor the Gift Podcast. I am your host, Art McCracken. I specialize in transformational leadership and high-performance coaching. I've worked with hundreds of companies and thousands of individuals along the way, helping them achieve greater outcomes in all aspects of their life. I'm a speaker and writer, but at the end of the day, none of that holds a candle to being a husband, father, and friend. I believe the greatest gift in our mortal existence is the gift of choice. How we honor that gift will shape the eternities. I also believe that career is a way of being and not just a way of life. And when you figure that out, by learning to let go of the charades and leaning into growth, life just seems to unlock itself. I know this because I've lived it. Quite simply, my calling is people experience living true. Thank you for being here. Thank you for making the commitment to lean into growth. I honor your journey. Now, let's do this. Hello, friends, and welcome to another weekly episode. In this week's episode, I have a special guest I want to introduce you to. Uh, you'll be excited to know that this is one of those guests, uh, as I've mentioned in the past, bringing high value to this community. So without further ado, I want to introduce the topic. The topic is really diving into coaching a little bit more. It's coaching the coach, but also what makes a great coach, and we're going to dive into some of the, the questions around that. But first, let me introduce our guest. Uh, today, we have Jody Moore on the show. Jody is a master certified life coach. She has a career in corporate training, and her formal schooling is in communications, adult education. She is a business owner, mother of four, She's trying to figure it out alongside the rest of us. Uh, one thing that really, I think, resonated with me in regards to Jody and her work is she owns the results in her life. And she challenges her clients to own the results in their life, helping us recognize that growth is always a choice. And so with that, uh, she is very busy, uh, but busy with a purpose. She's the founder of her coaching program and coaching business. She runs a podcast called Better Than Happy. She's uh, also running a, a very popular program and something that's impacting major influences and major lives around the world, and that is the Be Bold program. So without further ado, thank you, Jody, for being on the show. Welcome. Thank you for that nice introduction. You made me sound a lot fancier than I really am, but <laughs> thank you. Well, you're having a, a huge impact on so many lives, and it's just, <laughs> I feel very fortunate to have you on the show. So as maybe a, a refresher for those that are listening in and to set the stage, our audience that typically will tune into this podcast comes from all over the world. Uh, these are people that are exploring possibilities in their life. Uh, some of them feel maybe a little bit of dissonance. They're trying to figure out, okay, I know that I can be better. I know that I have great possibilities, but I just don't feel good. And so uh, we have coaches, we have leaders in the home, leaders in enterprise, leaders in communities that tune in, um, but people seeking, learning, wondering what significance might mean for them. So that dovetails into the topic or the title of the podcast. It's the Honor the Gift podcast, recognizing that we each have choice in how we honor those gifts. So to start out, the just right into some dialogue here, you work with coaches and you have coaching development programs, helping people become certified as coaches. 
in your opinion, what makes a great coach? Hmm. That's a, that's a big question. I think, um, you know, when you say coaching, there's so many different types of coaching that exist out there. Coaching is not a regulated industry like therapy or um, uh, medicine or things like that. So I will just preface it by saying I can only speak to the type of coaching that I've been trained in and that I, I work with others in, which is a causal coaching, really a focus on um, thinking, feeling, and, and owning, like you said, owning our results. So I think that um, what makes a good coach is, is somebody that's willing to first be not a good coach. <laughs> <laughs> just like anything, you have to start somewhere. And um, I think listening to coaching, what I find is that people listen to coaching, they they hear people coach and they think, oh, that's so powerful. I think I could do that. And I don't mean to, to uh, squash anybody's hopes, like you can do it. But I think that it's way more challenging than it looks because the difference between coaching and having a conversation with a friend of mine who I care about is pretty extreme. And so the the way that I'm approaching the situation when I'm coaching is so different from how I've lived the rest of my life that it takes some time and practice to shift your your viewpoint in that way. And I would say the main change is that I have to be neutral as a coach. I My opinion is irrelevant. Um, whether I think that my client is doing it the right way or the wrong way is irrelevant. And um, so I have to be able to hold that neutral space for just really showing a client themselves and then leaving it up to them to do what they want to do. And I, it, that's so different than from the rest of our lives, right? Where I, I'm giving my sister my opinion all the time and I'm telling my friends that they're great and, and trying to make them feel better. To me, coaching is not making people feel better. It's just holding neutral space for people to really honestly see themselves. So... Yeah, I appreciate that. And, and being a fellow coach, I think you hit on one of the most important topics, and that is helping people recognize that coaching is about the go forward. And I think mm. sometimes people will bring the challenges and things that they're holding on to from the past, and there are certainly ways to, to navigate that and to find ways to release from some of that. But oftentimes, there's this this interesting dance around intent of, of coaching and advice and training and mentoring and all of these things. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But as, as we think about coaching coaches, and both of us have had opportunities to work with other coaches mm -hmm. and help them when they get stuck or they feel like maybe they're not having the impact that they would hope for and recognizing that that space, reserving that space and being that net neutral is an important place to be because the, the path forward is for the client and it isn't necessarily our path forward. And so as you're yeah. working with some of these coaches, these early stage coaches, even coaches that have you know, gone through your programs, what do you continue to see that gets in the way of effective coaching? And where do you continue to see new coaches being challenged? Well, and I should just clarify that the work I do with new, new coaches is through the Life Coach School. Um, I, that's where I was certified. And so I, I work with new coaches there as an instructor, and then I take them through an, an advanced training of my own. But um, with new coaches, I think the challenge is that we want to be empathetic. And not that there's not a place for empathy within coaching. There is. But um, 
the way that we teach it at the Life Coach School is, okay, so your client comes to you with this this story and the cause of our pain is always our thoughts and our stories, right? So my client, I, I just got off a coaching call actually and the woman was telling me about her ex-husband who's a narcissist who won't um, you know, coordinate the ch- kid's schedule for the summer. He just won't reply and he'll just buy them, you know, they'll, they'll end up with him in another state and then he just won't fly them home. She has to get the police involved and everything. Okay, so if this is my friend, I want to be empathetic. If if I'm chatting with a friend, I'm like, what? I can't believe he did that. What a jerk. You know, I'm just totally empathizing, validating, and, and that's powerful. We need that in our lives. But when I'm coaching her, I can't empathize and validate her story because her story is what's disempowering her and causing her pain. So I have to be able to still love her and be in support of her, but also not empathize and validate that story. And that's a really hard thing for new coaches um, to do or to wrap their heads around how to do that in a way that feels authentic and still loving and kind. And so where I, what I teach them is, listen, you can still be empathetic. You can say, I understand that you're believing this story that's creating pain for you. I believe stories all the time that create pain for me too. Like that's what we do as humans. But this is just a story and it isn't serving you. And um, so it's a a different type of empathy. And the other trick that we use that I love is I tell new coaches, listen, you got to be loving everyone in the story equally. So when that woman starts telling me about her ex-husband, who's the narcissist, I love him and I love my client and I love her kids who are in the middle of all this. And that's just different for us. We're used to taking sides. There's good guys and bad guys in these stories. And so I, I find that for new coaches, it's, it's just takes some practice to be able to do that authentically in the beginning. Awesome. I hope that you would go there. And so I appreciate <laughs> that insight. I know if, if we look at coaching on the spectrum and we look at the purest form of coaching being questions only and from that place of neutrality, you know, if, if somebody's telling you their story, presenting the circumstance, mm-hmm. and we look at that, and again, you talk about empathizing and, and trying to remain neutral in that process, that the questions are really the thing that drive discovery. If we look at the other end of the spectrum, it probably lends itself more to training and advice giving. And I think in some of the coaches that I work with, it's helping them find that balance that if you're going to to move on one side of center or the other, always move to that that side of being question-driven in your approach to allow the mm-hmm. space and time and the patience with that discovery. And I think that's another thing that oftentimes new coaches maybe struggle with just a little bit is the giving that space and that void for discovery because our processing and our discovery comes from our place of being, our experience and we're trying to expedite movement for the client but that movement and that discovery that comes in that that space is so vital in that change i'm totally guilty of that i talk way too much and it's more powerful to let the client talk and like you said let there be silence while they come to discover uh, what's going on rather than me always telling them so, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Yeah, for coaches, that silence, I think sometimes we internalize that as, okay, I need to fill this with something. Maybe I'm not engaging, and we're thinking more about the 
the process of coaching and, and how we're showing up. Mm-hmm. But sometimes that space is just, it's necessary. It's awkward. It's meant to be awkward. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for sure. Finding that balance then, we talk a little bit about that. Let's dive into the stories of our past. And I know, I mean, you're familiar. I know you use CTFAR in in your processing with clients. Talk to me about how the story of our past, story of our present, and these thoughts versus realities come into play in your practice. Well, for me, um, I find that my clients and myself, we tend to spend way too much time in the past and we we make the past mean all kinds of things about what we're capable of in the future and so coaching to me one of the things i love about coaching that makes it a little bit different from therapy is that i don't spend a lot of time in the past the past doesn't matter other than the way you're thinking about it today so for example maybe i'm coaching somebody who wants to make a certain amount of money in their business and they've never made that amount before. It's not uncommon for our brains to go, yep, that's gonna be hard or impossible because you've never done it before, which is just ridiculous because um, when we were in fifth grade, we couldn't wait to get to sixth grade and we never said, well, I've never done sixth grade before. I probably can't do it. We just knew like, okay, I'm gonna go do that now and I'm gonna figure that out. But at a certain age, we stop believing that. We stop thinking uh, and it speaks to, you know, Carol DeWick's work, which I know you're a fan of, about mm-hmm. the growth mindset, that um, we are constantly evolving and and that I could think differently and try something different and create a different result. So I like to encourage my clients not to talk about the past. And even sometimes we have maybe trauma from the past. And, um, you know, I definitely will refer my clients out to therapy if they have a trauma that needs to be dealt with. That is necessary work to be done. But in coaching, I tell them, listen, I don't need to know that story. You don't need to tell me. And and they want to give me all the details. Again, mm-hmm. back to the example I gave you earlier, she'll yeah. want to tell me all about her ex-husband and, and what happened when they were married and what he did, what he said last year and what he did last summer. And I'm always like, why, why are you telling me all this? It doesn't matter. And I, to me, that's so empowering to realize that I don't have to bring the past into my present and my future. And uh, that's one of the things I love so much about coaching is that we focus less on the past, more on the future, and um, and then go to work creating what we want. Yeah, I know that can be frustrating for some clients because that their past or even their present is so supportive of their story. Yes, and so <laughs> as it becomes the supporting, and I, I also appreciate that you recognize, and I think this is great advice for those coaches that are listening in, clients will present themselves with challenges from the past that they have a very difficult time letting go of. And because coaching is about the go forward, and what, what you're talking about is I don't, I don't, you know, the past is a past, your story is your story, but w- given that, what's the next step to move forward? And And sometimes that that little roadblock, it's wise to refer those clients to a therapist, somebody that can help Mm -hmm. them work through the past because that past work is important, but what they've hired you for is to coach them on the go forward. And it just does not leave any space for the past. Yeah. I mean, it's just not necessary to bring it with you. And Dan Sullivan says this, he says, 
you can bring what you want with you from the past, but you can also leave anything you don't want. Mm-hmm. And I love thinking about it that way. Like, I'm just going to give that part back to that person who harmed me. That's theirs. I'm not bringing it with me. And and I'm taking these things, though. We have a lot of valuable things from our past that we can bring with us. But you got to choose it. A lot of us think that, to your point of, of thoughts versus realities, like we think that we're just describing the world around us, but what we're doing is sharing our thoughts mm-hmm. about the world around us, and including your past. You know, this is why I, I just had dinner with my siblings on Sunday, and we'll talk about, remember this thing that happened when we were kids? And somebody will inevitably go, no, that's not how it happened. <laughs> we all experienced it differently, and we all remember it differently. And, um, and what's true... We don't know until we get a time machine. So it's all our interpretation. Our memories of the pastor are way more inaccurate than any of us would believe, according to the research. And I just think that's fascinating. Very fascinating. Well, that actually leads into the next topic. I'd love to hear your thoughts on biases and and blind spots. Okay. Well, um, I mean... Again, this is this goes back to what we're saying, like you said, with um, thoughts. We all want our thoughts to be true. We do. It's just human nature, at least when we're operating from mental health, is that we, we want our thoughts to be true. We're looking for proof that our thoughts are true. So if I think my mother-in-law doesn't like me or... I'm not good at this. I just had this realization this morning that I have this thought. I'm not. I'm just not good at managing people and growing a team. I'm good at being an, a solopreneur, but I'm not good at being a business owner. And I realized, okay, that's just a thought. It's just a story. That's a bias I have about myself and my business, right? Or I could have a bias about what my mother-in-law thinks of me or what have you. Um, the brain just hears, okay, start looking for proof of that. Even though it's not a story I want to be true, it doesn't feel good. It's not going to create the result I want. My brain goes to work finding proof that it could be right. And there's something validating about that to us. That's why, to your point earlier about the past, we want to tell the story. Like, no, listen, you don't understand. She doesn't like me. Here's what she said. Here's what happened. And we sort of build a case for our our stories. And if it's a painful story and it's not creating the results you want then one of the things that I try to do as a coach is show people we could just stop writing that book. You know, we could stop telling the story, I'm not good at business. We could we could even just try a story like, it's possible that I could become good at business. Or it's possible that my mother-in-law is just really struggling and she doesn't know how to express that, what to do with that. And so you can change your bias to something still believable And your amazing brain will, again, go to work trying to prove that. But a blind spot, to your point, is the way I think about it anyway, is like a story that we think is just our observation of reality. And that's where coaching comes in, is to show you this is not your observation of reality. This is your bias. You're experiencing that person through the lens of what you believe them to be. And you're creating that result. And so when you can uncover those blind spots, then you have choices as to how you want to view things which will you know create your result in the end so with biases and blind spots i think it brings up some interesting places for discovery and you talked about carol dweck before somebody deciding or making the choice am i going to be growth oriented or am i going to become fixed in my way of being Mm -hmm. i think there's a couple of questions one of them i've heard you ask 
in some of your workshops and settings, and that is, what if I'm wrong? Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? And then I want to follow that up with another question. Yeah, I love that question because it goes, it helps interrupt that brain pattern of wanting to just prove everything right. So, um, and it's, it wasn't even what if you're wrong, it's am I willing or are you yeah. willing to be wrong? Wrong. Am I, it, or just like I could be wrong, right? It's yeah. possible that I'm wrong. And a lot of times the brain will resist it and go, no, because remember this thing happened. Remember when she said that? Like, my mother in law hates me. I could be wrong. It's possible I'm wrong about that. And if you can open yourself up to the possibility that you could be wrong, then that's when you, again, gain the leverage to choose what story you want to believe and what ultimately you want to create. Um, you know, again, I, I like to do this with goals too. If it's, if it's, um, I'm, I'm just not the kind of person who's good at that. I mean, I could be wrong about that, right? Like it could be that, or, or the idea that I should be good at that. You know, I love to challenge things like it's best to be organized and not procrastinate. Like, well, what if I'm wrong about that? What if it's totally fine for me to be disorganized and procrastinate and I can still create all the results I want to in my life? So just like questioning things and, and not that you have to be wrong about it, but just being open to being wrong is enough in many cases. Questions are powerful. And the question there is, it's interesting because as soon as somebody gives us a question, we start to think about it and we start to solve for it. Without the question, we typically won't go there. And there's a, there's a great book called Relationomics that was written by Randy Ross, Dr. Randy Ross. He talks about, in, in one of the chapters, he, he gives what he refers to as the poor man's 360. And it's a simple question. And the way that he presents it is he said, oftentimes people aren't willing to give you the tough feedback, that last 10% that, that they just reserve, that they hold back, that they know they want to tell you and they wish that you would see, but they just hold back. And so this question is, what's it like to be on the other side of me? And with a follow-up of, of really holding space and honoring the possibilities that they're going to bring to me ideas, suggestions, thoughts that might be very difficult to hear, that I may be super resistant to, but if I'm to break through some of the biases that I have, if I'm to break through the things that I know to be true that might not be, I've got to be willing to ask the question. So the questions are so powerful. And I, I love that mm. the way that you frame that question. Mm -hmm. So let's shift gears a little bit. I know that you you probably work with a number of people that are looking at that grass on that's greener on the other side of the fence. And one thing that I, I always ask my clients when they're considering a transition in their life, whether they're considering a new career, or I don't like where I'm at, maybe it's in their marriage, maybe it's uh, in relationship with coworkers, maybe it's just career in general, that they're looking to go do something else. I always ask them, are you running from something or are you running to something? How often does that show up for you in your practice? And, and how do you help your clients navigate transition? Yeah, I love that question. Am I running to something or am I running away from something? Um, I would say like the, the majority of my coaching is, um, I mean, I, I coach people with goals. Primarily, it's like a weight loss goal or a business goal or something like that. 
um, transitions tend to be more like kids all moving out of the house, becoming empty nester, those types of transitions that sort of we get handed whether we wanted them or not. A little bit of, I just coached a woman considering, you know, a divorce, so things like that. I think what you're saying and the, the way I teach it is that just changing a circumstance is, it, it's not always a bad option, but mm-hmm. it's ultimately not going to help us grow and transform in the way that we want to. And sometimes changing a circumstance does provide relief or, or the, you know, the the new emotions that we're trying to seek. Um, if I have a job I hate, I can quit that job and get a different job and I might feel better and happier. But the reason we feel better and happier is not the job. The reason is because now we're thinking different thoughts. We're we're um, believing a different story about ourselves or our lives. And so I just like my clients to know the power of you can change your thinking anytime you want to and feel better. That doesn't mean, again, that you wouldn't want to change a circumstance. Um, To your point, there might be things that you want to do, things that you're running towards, that you're excited about, that you just want to experience, or something that you just don't want to deal with because it might require a lot of work to manage your thoughts around it. And so it's not to say you should never change a circumstance, but so many times we see this, right? We probably all have people in our lives who do this circumstance swapping. It's like, no, it's just this city. I don't like this city. No, it's this house. No, it's this marriage. No, it's this job. And they're constantly swapping circumstances. The problem is your brain goes with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so if you're not aware that that it is your brain creating your experience in the first place, then you can't possibly outrun yourself. And, and that can be detrimental and not create the life we want in the end. Very powerful. And, and I think that speaks so eloquently to this concept of and and often it's it's the running from something and i one thing i always tell clients when when they can settle in on what it is they're doing most often they find that they're trying to leave something they're they're leaving a toxic situation or or something they believe to be toxic or they're they're running away from something that's no longer fun and they want something new and exciting and i always tell them Go get your tennis shoes on and get them laced up because you're going to run from that the rest of your life. Why not settle in right now and and work through that so that if you're going to run to something, you're running with excitement to that thing. You're not running from something that you left undone. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say you, you wouldn't want to leave a, a toxic or an abusive situation or something, um, but... But ultimately, there's so many examples of that, right? And and where you can't escape your own brain. No. Ultimately, even if temporarily it feels like it, your brain catches up with you. It's very disappointing, actually. (laughs) Our our brains are so powerful and such an amazing tool. And the notion that we actually have some play in, in what our brain does for us with regards to the reticular activating system and how that processes as a filter and we tell it what we want it to process for us, it's it's remarkable. Absolutely really remarkable. Is. Yeah, it really is. Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying this week's episode. 
if growth, personal growth and development is your thing, and you're here learning and leaning into growth, glad you're here, glad you're part of the community. If you want more of this, make sure and hit subscribe in this podcast platform or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Search for Honor the Gift podcast and make sure and subscribe so that it shows up each week with new updates, new conversations, new learning, new ideas and concepts, again, to help us all in this journey we call growth and how we make it through life and the way that we show up for others. Also, if you are looking for more information, deeper dives into some of these conversations, and just an update to stay in the loop, you can always go to choiceisthegift.com and click on subscribe where you'll be uh, in the loop on things that are upcoming and more updates on this podcast. Again, thank you for being here. Now let's get back to the episode. So talk to me about mental health, um, more around what are the characteristics of a healthy mind from your perspective? Well, that's a good question. I don't know if I'm qualified to answer that. I'll give you my opinion, but um, I think that, I, I guess a couple things. Number one, I'm, I'm really big on people embracing both the positive and the negative in themselves and in their lives and in their emotions. So I think at some point, some of us developed this idea that we're entitled to happiness and that that should be the goal, happiness. And I'm all for happiness, but I don't think any of us are entitled to it. And I actually think that we would be bored and that we wouldn't have... Um, the experience that we want to have in this life if we were just happy all the time. And so I'm really kind of a big proponent of a healthy mind includes embracing the times when you are unhappy, even though you're creating it with your thoughts. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be creating it. You're a human being. You're going to want to be sad about certain things. You're going to want to be frustrated. You're going to want to be angry. You're going to want to be all kinds of emotions. You're going to want to be disappointed when things don't go the way you expected. So um, to me, well-being and, and mental health includes embracing all of that. At the same time, I know I'm the creator of it, but doesn't mean I shouldn't or wouldn't want to create it. Um, so that that's number one. And then the second thing I would say is a practice of, for lack of a better term, mind management and thought management. Um, because like you said, we, we have the ability to choose what we're going to think. And most people don't really understand that or certainly don't mm -hmm. think about it. They're just at the effect of their thoughts and then they're at the effect of their emotions. But you get to choose what you're going to focus on. Even if you can't get to a place in your head where you think that, that, that a particular thought isn't true. Like, again, I'll go back to the mother-in-law example. If it's, my mother-in-law hates me. Okay, maybe you can't talk yourself out of that. Maybe you will just believe that's true. Okay, it still doesn't mean you have to walk around thinking it. Even when you see your mother-in-law, your main thought doesn't have to be, she really hates me. There's so many options. And so I find for many of my clients, it's a practice though. It's a practice of redirecting your brain away from the thought that isn't serving you towards one you still believe, but that creates a better result for you. And um, it's similar to if you have experience with little kids, they pick up a magic marker, you're going to go, no, 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 no give mommy that marker. 
Don't go running around the house with it. That's what you're sort of doing with your brain. It's like, no, 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 no. It's still going to try to go to the, the thoughts that don't serve you. You just gently redirect it to a new place. And I think that is optimal mental health for us is the ability to do that. Thank you. I, I appreciate those, those insights. When it comes to trust, I know that trust, it's an interesting thing, people that you know, will show up with trust that's been destroyed or trust that's been broken or a difficult time extending trust. And it seems like at times people are comfortable in their own conundrum when it comes to trust. In your mind, in your experience, where does the extension of new trust play into growth? Well, here's what I find so fascinating about trust is me trusting another person doesn't necessarily mean that person is honest or what we would say is trustworthy. It just means I'm making the choice to believe that the way they're representing externally is fairly aligned with what's happening internally for them. And that may or may not be the case. Again, I coach a lot of moms. So it's teenagers usually that are, they're telling me are lying. Sometimes spouses, but a lot of times teenagers, right? My teenager lied to me. My teenager told me that he or she was going to be doing this thing and they were actually out with friends instead. Um, so what I point out to them is it's fascinating that you're telling me that if they had done a better job of lying, if they hadn't gotten caught, if they would have been better at being sneaky and manipulative, you would still trust them, right? So our trust in someone is just a choice that we make or a thought that we're believing that what's, again, what they're representing externally is what's happening internally. And so... I think that there are times when you may not want to trust someone. You may want to know that they, they pretend sometimes. If, mm -hmm. if that's a pattern, I'm like, why are you? They're like, how do I trust them? I'm like, why do you want to trust them if they've proven to you over and over again that often that's not the case? But second of all, there are times when I just choose to believe people, even if I know it's not the case. For example... If my mom says to me, no, I don't need any help this week and I'm fine. I know she might just be saying that because she doesn't want to put me out. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to play the guessing game of figuring it out. So I, I just choose to believe what she tells me. I choose to go based on what she said. So anyway, I just, when it comes to trust, I don't, I'm not sure I know how to answer your question about how it relates to growth, but I do think it's a fascinating concept and one that, again, I like to take on is like, I choose whether I'm going to trust this person or not. And I, I, I don't think that it's useful to trust everyone. I just don't. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know with the extension of trust, I think an important thing for people to, to maybe wrap their head around is that when I extend trust, there is zero guarantee of what's going to be done with that trust. That trust could be betrayed again it could be betrayed for the first time. It could go splendidly as planned. But just because we extend trust doesn't come with it a guarantee. And when those things happen, it also isn't 
a, a captive indictment that we can no longer extend trust or that we no longer have the choice to extend new trust, even when trusts are betrayed. And so for me, as we, as we look into our life, I think sometimes that, that comfortability of if I've been betrayed, I'm not going to put myself out there again, or I'm not going to extend that new trust. And I think in raising children, we go through that over and over. You know, we trust the teenager, as you say, with something and, and chances are that trust might be broken. It might be betrayed, but it doesn't mean that we still don't have a choice to build new trust. Yeah. Well, and it goes back to, um, our feeling that it's safe to be vulnerable and authentic with people, mm-hmm. right? Like we, we can't connect on a deep level if we can't be authentic and real and, um, and yet that's scary to us to be authentic because we all have sensitive things that we want protected. So I think that's where we start thinking, I want to be able to trust my spouse. I want to be able to trust my kids. I want to be able to trust because I want to have that kind of connection. Well, fine and good to want that, but not everybody is ready to handle you at your most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just not, they're just not. So I think, like you said, knowing that going in, that we don't, we can choose to trust someone. That doesn't mean that that we're entitled to what they're going to do on the other side of that. Right. I know in your recent podcast episode around personal ownership of results in your life, you talked, you gave a specific example about your time in corporate training and working with HR and, and young sales leaders that were blaming their sales team for not getting specific results and you really mm-hmm. challenging them with, okay, what, what's yours to own in this? And I think that comes up here uh, in, in a couple of different ways around the trust conversation. And it may even be something as simple as a three part equation where you, you look to have a conversation. Maybe it's a candid conversation, but it's, these are the things I, tr- I know I can trust you with. And this starts to get into grounding some of our assessments of, I can't trust somebody. Well, can you trust somebody to brush their teeth every morning? Can you trust that they go to the bathroom when they need to go to the bathroom? So here's some things I do trust you with. Here are some things I don't yet trust you with, but I want to be able to trust you with. And here are some things I'm just not willing to give away or trust you with at all. And so that conversation, at least it provides a level of clarity and it provides some vulnerability and openness to have a conversation about trust development. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So from your vantage point, what does the doorstep of personal growth look and feel like? Mm, I think it just is um, being aware of yourself and and finding ways to become more self-aware and more, like you said, accountable for your results. And so whatever way that is, for me, it's really primarily through coaching, um, having somebody show me myself in ways that I can't possibly see from my own vantage point. And I'll add to that, um, being willing to be uncomfortable. So sometimes life gives us trials and challenges and, and we're forced to be uncomfortable. Um, other times we set goals. I think the only reason to set goals is to put yourself into discomfort because growth requires discomfort. So when you're willing to be uncomfortable and you choose to move through it instead of say stuck in it, to me, that's, that's where personal growth occurs. Well, in the spiritual sense, we know that this life was afforded us for growth, for us to be able to prove ourselves 
to take on a greater stewardship, to have um, eternal responsibilities. And so as we face that opportunity for growth, what might it what might appear for those that are listening that may be religious, may not be religious, may be spiritual, may not be, in leaning into and pursuing our divine identity? I just think it's, you know, it comes back to, like you said, that whole idea that we're trying to become more like our our parents in heaven. And um, I can't wrap my head around how that's even possible, <laughs> that we could, but we know it is through the the contrasting experiences that we have here on earth. And so um, I, I, nobody really wants to hear that. When you're in the midst of something challenging, mm-hmm. you don't want to be told, this is all for your growth. <laughs> I know that, but that is the reality of it. And I, I kind of like this, this statement. I heard someone say um, that when you're struggling, that you can either use a, a trial to become bitter or to become better. Mm. Those are basically our choices. Like we, trials and challenge, either, it, it affects us, it changes us. It either causes us to become a little more bitter or a little more better. And and that's where our choice comes in. And so, you know, I do think that's how we become like God and like our heavenly parents. And that is the whole goal here. So it's kind of awesome when you think about it that way. It's more like, yeah, this is why we're here. So I want it to be hard, actually. Like the more challenging it is, the more growth available to me. That scripture comes to mind, I give unto men weakness. If we recognize that weakness is a gift to us, it gives us an opportunity to explore, again, how we might create something new from the challenge that we have in our life. I, I love the the quote from President Hinckley. In fact, I have it sitting on the wall on the opposite side of my computer as we're recording this, and it says, Anyone who imagines that bliss is normal is going to waste a lot of time running around shouting that he's been robbed. The fact is that most beef is tough. Most children grow up to be just people. Most marriages require a high degree of tolerance. Most jobs are more often dull than otherwise. Life is like an old-time rail journey. Delays, sidetracks, smoke dust, cinders, and jolts interspersed only occasionally by beautiful vistas and thrilling bursts of speed. The trick is that you thank the Lord for letting you have the ride. We're here. That's such a good one. I love that. It's awesome because the the reality is that we're here having an imperfect experience with imperfect human beings to figure out how to make the most of those challenges that are gifts to us for the specific purpose of our growth. Yeah, that's right. If you were limited to one piece of advice for somebody asking, what would it be? Your main job is to work on feeling as good as you can as much of the time as you can. Um, when you do that, you are better at, at loving other people. You're better at serving. You're better at contributing in any way you want to contribute. I think we think that it's selfish to try to make ourselves happy, and I believe the opposite to be true. I believe that that has to be number one is you managing your own emotions. And from that place, give and contribute and be available to other people as much as you want. But most people, especially, again, the, I coach primarily women, spend their lives trying to make everyone else happy at their own expense. And I, I think they're doing it backwards. 
what does so with that answer then what does living true look like to you um that's a tough question um i don't know i've thought about it in that way before but you know i think it the truth is a hot mess <laughs> um I, I love the idea that as human beings, we think we need to do a better job of saying the right thing and looking the right way and achieving the right goals and be a little bit more perfect. But actually, in reality, none of us are really attracted to perfection in one another. We're attracted to authenticity. We're attracted to what's real. So, yeah, we like to see people um, showing up in the way that we are trying to show up, but we also like to see people fall down and then get back up. We mm -hmm. like to see reality. So when you say living true, I think, I think that's the challenge of this life, which I have a long way to go at it is embracing again that, yeah, I'm good at some things and I'm terrible at other things. And, and, it, um, I think as much as we can embrace that in ourselves, then we become available to embrace that in everyone else. And that is the goal. Um, easier said than done, though. <laughs> I love that definition. And it's interesting. Every every guest that I ask that question to has a different answer, a different interpretation. Mm -hmm. That's why I love that so much. And I think you bring up something that when I think about living true, I think about maybe what the opposite of living true might feel like and look like. I think at times we live in duality. I think at times we uh, maybe are running from our own shadow or we're trying to appear to be something that we're not. I think we're afraid of what people might think of us if they knew the real us, our, our real desires, our real follies, the things that we think about, the things that you know, the, the judgments that we cast in our life, the things that we're challenged with. And so you bring up that point of, of just recognizing the imperfections in ourself and being okay with those. Actually leading out in our life unapologetic for who we are, but humble about the growth that's our responsibility. Mm -hmm. Yes. Very cool. So another question that I like to ask coaches, and this will put you on the spot and, and give you a chance to really thoughtfully reflect on you, and that is what makes you a great coach? Oh, what makes me a great coach? I am really, really good at, like we kind of talked about in the beginning, the things that I see new coaches struggle with. I'm really, really good at loving everyone in the story. Um, and that's because I've been doing this for seven years, so I've been able to practice it a lot. Um, I think also I'm able to see, um, to just see parallels in, especially if I'm coaching on any interaction with another person. As soon as they start telling me about another person and what they don't like about them, what I'm listening for is in what way are they doing the same thing. So I, I just think that I, I'm able to see insight like that. And then the third thing that is the most important is that I'm pretty good at loving my clients. Mm -hmm. And I think that I can say hard things. I can show them the truth that's sometimes hard to hear. And they hear it and tend to mostly receive it well because they can feel that it's coming from love. 
And it, it sounds like a given, like, of course, as a coach, we would love our clients. But honestly, I had to practice it because mm-hmm. I don't know these people. I, I do group coaching. So most of them I'm coaching once or twice a year. I don't really know them. But I have trained myself to, as soon as they come on that call, look in their eyes and um, and just choose to love them. And I think that good coaches say the hard truth from love. Awesome. Very powerful. And it is recognizable. You know, it's not very often that you come across people that just, they're very good at their craft. And what you've described as far as some attributes of great coaching, uh, very evident. So thank you for that. A couple things in closing. What are you most excited about right now? So many things. Um, I'm most excited about my book that's coming out um, this fall. It's going to be called Better Than Happy. And it's been a long time I've been working Mm -hmm. on that book. So I'm very excited that it's finally coming to fruition. So, Yeah, it sounds like you're in the hands of a a good publisher and follies along the way with that. So it's exciting. Better Than Happy. Better than happy. Coming soon to Amazon. Coming soon to Amazon. <laughs> Looking forward to that. Where can people find you and engage with you more? Um, you can find me on Instagram. I'm Jody Moore Coaching there or Facebook. Um, you can find me at my website, jodymore.com or my podcast, Better Than Happy. Those are the main places where I hang out a lot. So lots of great free help. Awesome. I know you're on social and I know that you're very active on social, that you are responsive to your community. So thank you for that. For those of you listening, remember that growth is always a choice. Until next week, my friends, make it a great one. And remember to always honor the gift. 